A safari in the Timbavati Private Nature Reserve. This is the Wild Eye Podcast. Hey everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from Wild Eye. I'm back in the Wild Eye office after having been out in the field for the last four, five days, four nights, five days. Now, I am busy recapping that trip. I'm working forward because in, in today, actually two weeks from today, I fly up to Chicago for three nights only. I'm there to present, and then if anybody's keen to meet up, we can do that. From there, straight into Reykjavik, where I host our uh, winter Iceland photo tour. Super psyched for both of those destinations. If you're keen to meet up, let me know. We'll make a plan. But for now, though, I spent four days, four nights, in the Timbavati Private Nature Reserve. I haven't been there in quite some time, in the area, yes, but uh, not not at Timbavati itself. And for those of you who have no idea where this is, this is part of the Greater Kruger. So just as a bit of an intro into this before I tell you about the trip and the wildlife and the photography and stuff, let's look at a bit of a history here. In the early 1950s, a group of like-minded landowners realized that inappropriate land use could lead to habitat degradation and loss of wildlife for future generations. Working together, they formed the Timbavati Association in 1956 with the aim of preserving the natural integrity of the area. Since that early start, the reserve has grown and now covers an area of about 54,000 hectares with 47 different landowners. Bound by a common constitution, the association is a non-profit body solely committed to preserving the fauna and flora of the area. An important milestone in the history of this reserve was the dropping in 1993 of the fences between itself and the Kruger National Park and other adjoining privately owned conservation areas. This expansion of the open system initially included Timbavati, Klaseri, Umbabad Private Nature Reserve and later also Baluli Nature Reserve, adding some 184,000 hectares to what is today referred to as the Greater Kruger National Park. More recently, the fences between Timbavati and its neighbor to the west, Thornybush, were also dropped, which opened an additional 14,500 hectares, further encouraging natural species migration. Since its Hubble origins in the 1950s, the reserve is now a highly professional organization that protects sustainable populations of many endangered species such as black and white rhino, pangolin, saddlebill stalk, southern ground hornbills, and many others, obviously the big five as well. The Timbavati is home to a number of safari lodges that cater to local and international tourists, bringing a thriving tourism economy to the region and promoting employment within the reserve and in the neighboring communities. The reserve also finances an outreach body, the Timbavati Foundation, that runs a series of programs that help neighboring communities in areas such as boreholes, sustainable shaded vegetable farming, as well as environmental awareness programs for school children. Human incursion into the part of the Lowfelt has always been temporary and brief, from the Stone Age down to the early 20th century. Large tracts of land in the northern part of the Lowfelt were never permanently settled by people. The lands now comprising the Timbavati were barely touched and are still only sparsely inhabited. This part of South Africa's bushveld region may therefore be regarded as truly pristine and unspoiled. It is genuine wilderness, different from the restored and restocked land commonly found elsewhere. So I took that just from the Timbavati uh, website. It's timbavati.co.za for those of you who want to check it out. So obviously what they're talking about here, uh, the restored and restocked land. So it will be something like Medikwe, which many years ago, it must be, my math's going to fail me here now, 70, must be about in the region of 25 to 30 years ago, uh, Medikwe was stocked through something called Operation Phoenix, where they reintroduced animals that was always found in the region back onto the area that was farmland at the time. So what, I'm, what, what they're saying here, Timbavati has always been real and rough and unspoiled. 
And just from driving around there for the last few days, we covered quite a bit of distance. There are definitely areas where it feels more remote than other places. Even something like the Sabi Sands, I would venture to say. That said, to me, the one thing that's always interesting going to places like the Lofeld, Sabi, Timavati, Kasiri, is the traversing rights. So you would have two properties next to each other. No fences, like we just said, those fences have been dropped. But you have roads that that's the border between two things. We drove, for example, up and down the Kruger border. So on the one side of our vehicle was the Timbavati Game Reserve. On the other side was the Kruger National Park. Now, we can't go over there, which is fine. And they can't come over here, which is also fine. The problem is, or not the problem, you might be faced with a situation where you're tracking a leopard or a pack of wild dogs. They run across the road. You can't follow. You see them 200 meters killing something and going and making a fantastic sighting that you could have been in, but you can't follow. So that's a bit frustrating. So the one thing that was quite obvious to me when I was in Timbavati now is where the camp, and I'll tell you about the camp we sat at now, is located. They have access right to certain concessions, others not. So you're driving and then can we go here? Yes, we can. It's not, it doesn't spoil the experience. Don't get me wrong. It's just something I noticed that we're going onto this property now, this is private, nobody else can come here. Call on the radio because this is now on the border with another property where other people might want to come, but not those lodges because they don't have traversing rights. So it's a bit of a thing uh, to manage all of that. Uh, the guys do very well with it, but it was something that I didn't notice. It did, however, on this particular trip, work in our favor on one day where we found a pride of, I'm, I'm speaking out of correction, I think 21 or 22 lions because the, the young, young babies weren't there on a zebra kill. Nobody else could come in, which is great. So there's no pressure on the sighting. Whereas on the first day, we heard about a leopard sighting. She was up a tree with two young cubs. Well, young, 10 months old. So they were all in a tree, but it turned into a total shit show from a vehicle point of view, because it was one of the areas where many of the lodges could traverse. So there's both good and bad. If you take it for what it is, it's not so bad. But the one thing here where they say it's truly pristine and unspoiled, yes. If you're driving around a place like uh, like Medique, you do see old signs of human activity, farms, uh, old fence posts, sometimes some metal uh, boreholes and such. Not something you find in the Timavadi all that often. Although they've got quite a bit of signage and stuff up, so that does draw you to that. Um, you also find yourself on the main roads in and out. Because there's so many lodges that need to be served from a food and maintenance point of view, the main roads do carry a little bit of traffic from, from trucks and such. Not to the point that it's negative, just something that I notice when I go to these places. Now, environment-wise, for those of you that have been to the Sabi Sands and something like Mala Mala, Singita, or that southern part of the Kruger, the ecosystem is very similar. It's the same kind of road network, the same kind of sand, the same kind of roads, uh, the same kind of vegetation, marula, some jackalberries. It's, it's quintessential low felt. Now, it's a very difficult thing to kind of describe exactly what that means. I'm just kind of scrolling through their website, see if they have a description of it. Um, I can't find anything on there, but it's Lofelt, right? Go and look up Lofelt, you know what I'm talking about. But it is, um, it's, it is special. If you've been to the Lofelt, there's something about those cool early mornings and you can feel the humidity building, it's gonna be a beautiful day. There's something special there. Medikwa's got its own kind of niche, but there's, there's to me the Lofelt always, since, since I was a kid, 
held some kind of fascination. The feel of it, the smell of it, everything's unique. We were there, funny enough, and those of you that will understand birding will know, we were there for two firsts, actually, for the lodge. It was the first sighting of a woodlands kingfisher, which is, it's kind of the announcement that summer is now here. You'll, you'll know their call. I'm going to find it on my phone. I'll play it for you. And the other first thing that we saw was the um, the first baby impala, because they all drop around about end of November, December. And um, that is also pretty cool to see. All the females were very, very, very fat, very fat from pregnancy. But um, yeah, that was the two first. I'm just looking for this here. So this here is the, let me just get this, uh, Woodland Kingfisher. Can I play this? I'm looking to find this. It'd be pretty cool if I could play this. If I can find it for you, Woodland Kingfisher. There it is. Uh, okay, go there. My bird guide's not working. Here we go. Let's see if this works. There you go. Pretty cool, yeah? So that sound signals summer in the low felt. And we were there when the guides, they almost peed their pants. They were so excited. And we saw the first, funny enough, we saw one on the one day. And then the next day, they were all there. It's just the, the arrival of the, of the woodlands migration, woodlands kingfisher migration. Um, one of the other things you might have heard around the Timbavati is the white lions. So it's a big deal as well. I'm going to read from you from the website again. Uh, background to the African lion diversity. Although, this is from the Timbavati website, although South African lions share common ancestors, distinct populations have developed due to decreases in range and increases in isolation of different populations. Genetic diversity is essential for survival of any species, yet there are indications that some reserves in South Africa are facing inbreeding issues, which reduces genetic diversity. Inbreeding is shown to affect reproductive success as well as increases susceptibility to disease. Now, in large open wildlife systems, such as the Greater Kruger, inbreeding is prevented through the expected social behavior of lions, where young males leave their pride uh, before they're old enough to challenge for pride. It's kind of how the nature sorts that whole thing out, yeah? There are a couple of podcasts in which Trevor speaks about the pride. I know Matt's done a few of those if you want to dig deeper into that. Conservation genetics involves conserving the maximum genetic diversity within a species, which will preserve their evolutionary potential and their ability to cope in a changing environment. Genetic diversity provides the basis for adaptability through natural selection as environmental conditions change. Therefore, a population which lacks genetic diversity is in greater danger of not having the natural resources to survive environmental change. In practice, inbreeding or loss of genetic diversity may result in a reduced survival, reproductive abnormalities, juvenile mortalities, physical deformities, and reduced growth of populations. Now, genetic analysis of the Timbavati lions by Dr. Desiree Dalton and Susan Miller has indicated that our lion populations there has high genetic diversity and is not at all at risk of inbreeding. This is a very healthy state, which is enhanced by the vast ranges available to the lions in this greater Kruger area, which is an open system. Not surprisingly, the Timbavati lions are genetically most closely related to those in the Kruger uh, rather than lions up in Namibia or Botswana. Now, whilst there are isolated reports from time to time of white lion sightings in the Kruger Park, there are many white lions breeding captivity and semi-captivity both locally and abroad. The Timbavati Private Nature Reserve remains the only reserve in the world, as far as we know, where wild lions occur regularly and naturally. Now, much has been written about these white lions. Books have been produced about them. Some people credit them to have mythical powers. It's probably the same as like the spirit bears or the... 
the what do they call them? Spirit bears or white? I'm God. I'm should know this. Spirit bears or it's those ghost white bears up in Bradbury Rainforest. You see, that's what happened when Jerry tries to be clever and involve something from a different continent. Anyway, the spirit bears, similar thing. Uh, some say they're albinos, others say they're leucistic. In fact, the white lines of the Timbavati are neither. In 2013-14, a Timbavati landowner, Dr. Graham Naylor, initiated a research project to establish what the white lions are all about genetically. Apart from the obvious differences between tawny lions and white ones, there are in fact subtle and interesting physical differences amongst the white lions themselves. Some have blue eyes, pink lips, noses, and pads. Others have brown eyes, black lips, noses, and pads. There was some suspicion that the white lions with blue eyes, pink noses, lips, and pads would, could be albino, and that those with brown eyes could be leucistic, partially which, which means partial loss of pigmentation. The research conducted by Dr. Desiree Dalton looked specifically at nuclear DNA sequencing um, of the tyrosinase gene, which is responsible for albinism, but found that our white lions did not have this mutation. Also, histopathological analysis of the eyes of both of the brown and blue-eyed white lions conducted by Dr. Goni Burr at Ampath Laboratories revealed a reduced but not absent melanin, which is pigmentation, concentration in the blue-eyed individuals. So, bottom line from all of that, the white lions in the Timavati are not albinos. Now, Dr. Dalton isolated a white gene, which is a recessive gene for white lions and only expresses itself if the gene is inherited from both parents. The reason for the variation in lip and eye color is a differing expression of this recessive gene in different uh, individuals. So the white lines of the Timavati are not leucistic either. Of the 22 individuals sampled, it was found that there was a 28% carrier rate of the white gene amongst the general lion population and a 90% carrier rate of the white gene in the phenotypically normal tawny lion population. The relatively rare occurrences of naturally occurring white lions in the Timavati compared to naturally occurring tawny lions, even with the high carrier rate of the white gene within the population, is an indication that the white coloring is not an ideal color mutation evolutionarily speaking. For this reason, it has remained an autosomal recessive gene and occurs naturally from time to time, but will never become the dominant color for wild lions. The white lions in Timavati are also certainly not a separate subspecies, as some people believe. Now, the idea, you can think for yourself, if a lion, if there's a, I almost said a pack of lions, a lot of people speak like that, a pride of lions, which are all tawny, you've got the white one, it's going to stand out. So from an evolutionary point of view, doesn't really help because it stands out. So hunting, hiding, whatever the case might be, doesn't really play in its favor. Now, with all of that said, and I know a lot of you guys want to come and see white lions, and I know a lot of you want to photograph them. So speak to myself or speak to one of the guys, speak to my logistics team here at Wild Eye. I'm sure they can hook you up with a trip to the Timavati. How do I say this? I think white lions are ugly. <laughs> I do. I'm sorry. I can't like them. Um, I get it's a natural thing. I get it's all this recessive gene and we can talk all these things. I just don't like them. They don't look, I don't know, they don't look healthy. They don't look normal. Like I'm looking at a picture of a beautiful young cub, which is bright white next to a tawny one. And yes, that's cute. But then as they get older, they look ill. I don't know. That's personal preference. Don't hold me against it. Don't hold it against me rather. But um, so anyway, we did not see those ones. We did not see the um, we did not see the the white lions. We saw a lot of tawnies. On one day, I think we saw thirty different individual lions on our safari. Now in the last few days, that's a shitload. I mean, you can go to the Masamara and there's a lot of lions, right? But 
in, in any Southern African reserve to see 30 different individuals on one drive, that takes a lot. So yes, it had a lot to do with us seeing this one big pride. I'm going to butcher the name if I use it, so I'm not even going to try. But there was also four dominant males. So it's an upcoming coalition of four males. We saw them in a buffalo kill a few days earlier. They made an appearance later on. I'll tell you about the sighting in a second. But the lion diversity was huge. The hyena population there is huge. You see them all the time. Individuals, um, we had a nice interaction between lions and hyenas. We saw a very healthy amount of all of the big five, put it that way. And mixed in with things like zebra, giraffe, impala, wildebeest, and, and again, healthy numbers. That is often something for me, if you go to the Sabi Sands, you, you, you probably stand more chance of seeing buffalo and elephants and cats than you do some of the general game species in some of these areas. So the game viewing overall for me in the Timbavati was very well-rounded. We, earlier in the week, I was messaging with the Wild Eye office and I said, yeah, no fireworks yet, but good solid stuff. And looking back now, it, was, it wasn't super fireworks. There was two that was that. But it was just good, solid sightings all the time. So there's also something for me, and this I take my hat off to Mo, my client who I had with me. There's something to be said for paying your dues, for having those drives where you let the tracker and the guide do the tracking, do the searching, find the things. It's almost like the bush rewards you for your patience, karma, if you will right? I believe this 100%. It's like if you honor the process, the bush will, will, will provide, for lack of a better term. So we had days like that where the one afternoon drive, we left at four, and we tracked and tracked and tracked. We dropped the tracker off. We walked through the block. We picked him up. We tracked again, drove circles around because we thought the lines were in a block. Another guy phoned us, messaged us, damn it, radioed us, and said, oh, he's got the tracks here. So we go there, we carry on. And eventually that turned into we found a kill, old kill, a uh, uh, wildebeest, which was stripped to the bones. Now, remember, this is 21 adult lions plus then five babies of like three months. So they panel beat the shit out of a wildebeest. There was nothing. There was a piece of bone and a horn left. And then we found fresh tracks going off. We followed it in, turned the car off, hear the audio, come around the corner. There's 21 big cats pulling into a zebra. This is the kind of scene you see on Nat Geo where it's just mayhem. You see like a little bit of black and white stripes. These cats are all punching each other and biting each other. Phenomenal scene. We sat there on our own because it was one of these private concessions. And great photography, great videography, went back amazing. The other sighting that really stood out to us was we went out in the morning. We saw some wild dogs. They were just flat in the river, which is fine. They didn't do much, but still you get to see them. I think often we can get very blasé. Even people who've been on safari two or three times, and I've seen dogs, I want them to do something. Yeah, these aren't circus animals, so you need to take what you get. So, But just sitting there and seeing them in the wild, very cool. So on the way back, we find a, we're driving, and there's this one hyena that comes tearing across the road, just out of nowhere. And he's definitely going somewhere. So we drive along, try and follow him, we cut through the block, as we come along, there's another one from another direction running and howling. They kind of drop their head to the floor as they shout or scream or howl or call, whatever you want to call it. And uh, they keep going. And eventually, long story short, there was a female lioness or just a lioness because a female lioness is different to a male lioness, Jerry, focus. So there was a lioness on a zebra kill. She must have pulled it down an hour, hour and a half, but it was a small, small zebra. She had her head into a tree like, it wasn't thick, but there was a bush. That will, the, the baby zebra was up against the bark. She was eating this. And there were eight hyenas around her, hassling her. 
And if you've ever seen these documentaries like Eternal Enemies and those things, this was it. These hyenas were shouting and screaming, trying to get to her. Great sighting, great audio. In a situation like that, the photography wasn't as good because she was in the deep shade. It was kind of, this was about 9.30 in the morning now. No, yeah, 9 o'clock in the morning. So, but the videos and the sound, phenomenal. Experience off the charts, really, really good. So overall, great, great game viewing in the, um, in the Timbavati. I stayed for the first time with my client at a, um, at a lodge called, I'm just quickly finding the website here for you, uh, Batalia Safari Camp. Now, for those of you that have been on trips with me or with Wild Eye before, if you think something like Umlani, Masetla, but I would almost say a little bit more luxurious than that. So straight off the website, Batalia Safari Camp is ideal for couples, singles, and small groups who are looking for a Timbavadi safari that exceeds expectations while simultaneously offering an up-close experience of the true African bush and wildlife. Batalia is completely eco-friendly, making our camp the place where conservation and adventure meet. Now, the, one of the first things they did during the brief is, is, is tell us this. They're 100% off the grid. The water, the electricity, everything is solar. So they did that very well. Very comfortable tents. It's, um, it's a structure built with a thatch roof, but it's tent outside. So you've got the mesh. You still get the sound of Africa, which, like Amara Camp, is the wind. That's what it's about. Uh, beautiful common area. Uh, lovely pool. It's, it's just a really nice camp. It was surprising. What's the word I'm looking for? It was refreshing to me. It was nice. Uh, the staff, very wonderful. The trackers and the guides, passionate, real. I mean, if I look at someone like Grant Marcus, who's a very good mate of mine, uh, he runs Nkuru, where we do a lot of our matric- Madikwe trips. He is one of the most passionate guides. He would keep on driving. He'll drive all day long to find something. He just loves it. These guys are the same. And the one thing which was new to me, and this is, I've been to one or two safari lodges in my time, is on the first full day we were there, Lucky, our tracker, uh, they came and said, listen, can you guys please be here at one o'clock? Lucky's going to do like a survival thing. And he then takes things from the area. There's fruit pods, there's trees, there's branches and all such and so forth. And he basically goes through how you could survive if you get stuck out in the bush. Like, where can you find water? Where can you find food? How would you build a shelter? All these kind of things. And he makes it very practical and super entertaining. That to me was very refreshing. It's something in all my time that I haven't really had. I mean, a lot of the guys will speak about it out in the field. Like I'll get off and say, oh, this is a, I don't know, this is a orange um, monkey apple. You can eat it at this time of year, whatever. But these guys did a little presentation of it. And the presentation, and I watched the other one as well. One of the other trackers, Temba. A few days later, there was a new group, so they went through their Bush, bush survival talk. Great. It's almost theatrical and a bit of dramatic. I loved it. It was a really, really cool addition. So to the guys at Batalia, thanks. You guys rock. Uh, it was really, really good to see how you guys put it together. And it was just a great experience all around. So there it is. Just some thoughts on Timbavati, a little bit of background. Phenomenal place. If you can get there, if you want to find out more, let me know. Uh, Jerry at wildeye.co.za. My, my email address is in the caption. Uh, head up the Wild Eye website. Wild Eye. It's wild, the word, dash E-Y-E. W-I-L-D dash hyphen E-Y-E dot com. Um, and just get hold of us if you have any questions about getting there on your own or traveling with one of my private guides. It is really, really worth it. It's really worth it. Uh, for now, though, like I said, back to work. I'm going to get this podcast live. And it's nice to be back on the, back on the podcast again. It's been a little bit busy overall, 
um, from a wild eye point of view, lots on the go. I mean, even now, I think four of our guys are out in the field. It's just myself, Trev, and Apple Sammy in the office, which is great. It's good to see people are, are traveling again. We have, and I think it's only now that we've we've successfully navigated all of our COVID kind of postponements and stuff. So it's almost like we're now back to normal, which is amazing. Uh, so to all of you guys who've been traveling with us, thank you so much. It's been amazing. And uh, yeah, let's look ahead. I am going to be in the office for the next two weeks. I'm going to try and get a few more podcasts out. If there are any regions or destinations or photographic questions that you have, please send me a message. Um, you can do WhatsApp as well. It's plus 27825095617. WhatsApp me. Tell me what you want to hear on the podcast. I want to try and punch out a few more before we get to the end of the year. But for now, though, guys, thanks for listening. Tim Bavadi's great. Go and check it out. If you want to get there, get hold of my office team. They are best of the best. And I will chat you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for lending me your ears. My name is Jerry. I'm from Wild Eye. Have a good one.